0: So my name is John Davis, and I've got a lot of titles. I am uh, I could if I sometimes if I want to really sound impressive when I go and speak at a conference somewhere, it's the Reverend, Canon, Doctor John Davis, Ph.D., M.Div. All these letters after, before, and after my name, right? But the two titles that I love most are son and and brother. You know, because that really speaks to my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with the body of Christ with, with brothers and sisters and so those are my two favorites. We're going to that you know I covered a lot of what I had prepared so um, I'm not sure where we're going to go this morning but I've got I've got tons. This is this has been my life over the last couple of years since I stepped away from sort of the normal routine sort of things that that, you, that I've always done. But in some ways I'm just doing them just doing them in a different landscape. And really that's what we're going to be talking about. And I really want to start off with this idea that the world has changed. Can we get an amen on that? The world has changed dramatically and, and rapidly in the last um, 10 years or so. There's the rapid change that we've had. I love this. So just a couple things in, uh, in terms of that. The largest taxi cab in the world or taxi company in the world is Uber, right? They don't own a single car. Think about that. Would that have happened 15 years ago? No. The, the largest hotel in the world. Airbnb, and they don't own a single property. You know, that's just a sort of, we, we didn't, we were kind of in this whole new uh, way of doing economy and doing all kinds of things as consumers, as we do things, and, you know, and it all comes down in some ways to, and we could talk about, and we'll hear in a little bit later, talk about Amazon and how that's changed the, the, the landscape in terms of the, the marketplace. I mean, if you walk through Oviedo Mall, you see the effect of Amazon, Right? So, so the world has changed, and a lot of it has to do with the iPhone, because that was the first real smartphone that came out, and then the other ones that come that sort of followed it. But all of a sudden, we live by apps. You know, I just I literally 12 hours ago I was in Detroit, uh, Michigan. I was up doing a retreat. Actually, I was in Detroit 12 hours. I was in Baltimore 14 hours ago, and I was leading a retreat up there. But I apped my way home, right? Delta, uh, I have a Delta app. My boarding pass was right there uh, for me to hold my phone over the scanner. And then when I got to Orlando, it was late last night when I got in, about 11, 11.15 or so. And my wife was said, look, just do something else. So I got a lift, and I came home that way. Just think about how the world has changed. And I want to tell you this. don't want to scare you here, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. I have a document that I found. The CEO of Mercedes-Benz wrote this that uh, four pages of things that are going to happen in terms of the way the world is going to change. I'm just going to give you two that are, that are mind-blowing uh, enough. And they have, a lot of them have, have ripples into all kinds of things. The first one is that soon, soon we, there will be fully automated cars, right? We've seen the tests. Some not working out so well, but they're going to get the bugs out of that. And there's a good chance that your children, definitely your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, will probably never have a driver's license. Will probably never own a car. Instead, they'll have an app. I need I need to go to the mall. Punch up. Automated car comes, picks me up, takes me, and I only pay for that bit of the car that I use. Right? I'm doing it right now with Lyft, although there's a driver, it's not automated. But you know, I don't I could get by without a car. Even now. But just think about what's coming. And then with automated cars and less actual drivers and things like that. Think of New York City. How many have been to a New York City or a large city? Imagine New York City with 90% fewer cars, right? It just changes the whole landscape. No more parking garages or just a few. You know, kind of thing for us old holdovers that want to still drive and have a car um, kind of thing. But but it's going to reduce that. It'll change the landscape. Imagine that it's going to change insurance because um, right now there's one accident in every 60,000 miles that's driven. It's projected that once this sort of technology is really worked out, there will be one in every six million miles driven. So all of a sudden, insurance will go way down if we are still owning cars even in that moment. I mean, it just goes on and on. The real estate would change. The the and, and part of it is that that we have, and this kind of goes to somewhat of the Amazon thing, we have to re- sort of adapt to the changing technology and how it's impacting the world. And one of those things is is that, auto, you know, the regular the companies like GM and Ford and Chrysler and folks like that, they work off an evolutionary model of building cars, right? Next year, better car. Next year, better car, better car, better car. And really, there's been a whole transformation with Tesla and, and pretty soon Google and probably um, Apple will get into this. That basically, they're not building better cars. They're basically building a computer on wheels. And that's really what they're doing. Second thing, and I'll just do this right quick, is that the other thing that I just find this fascinating is 3D printing. That 3D printing is going to change so much, it's going to ripple into manufacturing and things like that, because right now on the space station, they have a 3D printer, and so they don't have to keep a lot of spare parts, because guess what? They can print them. Right now, uh, you can get an app, and your phone, your smartphone, can um, scan your foot, and soon you'll be able to print your own pair of shoes at home. So these are just two things. And I could go on about medicine, about legal f- uh, fields, about t- all kinds of ways in which technology is going to change the world in which you live. But the world is changing rapidly. And it's going to change more and more and more as we do that. And, there's, and once again, it, it, one thing might happen like with 3D printing. What does that do all of a sudden if, if there are no more shoe stores in, in, in terms of manufacturing or, or transportation or trucking? It, once again, all these ripples out. So the world is changing. Change, change, and more change is what's going on in the world. And, and I think the thing is, what, but there are also constants. So, uh, man, I, I really loved the music this morning. And I love being here at Core Faith. I love, the, I love the worship of the church. I love to see the church gathered in worship. And so how many I'll just say, how many of you like music, right? Most of us will probably raise our hand at that. So if you like music, but, you know, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm a little older, I still have, like, 400 vinyl albums, right, in my collection, you know, kind of thing. That's because what I grew up with. But then, and after that, I'll, I'm even, there's, a, I'm probably the only one in here. I actually had eight tracks for a season. Oh, there's a couple of hands. I see that hand. I see that hand. And then after that, what after, came after eight tracks, what came? Cassettes. And what was the cool thing about cassettes? Because Sony made a little thing called a Walkman. And all of a sudden, now you could do, you put together your own mixtape, and you could carry it with you, and you could go to the gym and work out, and you could bring your music with you wherever you went. And then after cassettes came, CDs, good, you guys are good, you guys know this stuff. And after CDs came, iPods, and then after that, we be, and with iPods, we began to download music. Something changed in that. I used to have to buy whole albums. Now I just buy the songs I want, Right. And then, after that, we've got now... How many of you have a streaming service that you listen to? There's a few hands there, right? So, here's the point I want to make about that. The technology has changed dramatically, right? Has your love for music changed? No. I still love music. I still love to listen to music. And so, so, part of it is, in that same way, I think that people are spiritually hungry. But the way in which they're going to access the things of God... You know, there's, there's going to be a place always for the church gathered. And that's really what this is, in, in, in a sense, what this mission is about. The church gathered, the people of God gathered under the banner of Christ. And so we have to think about this new landscape. This Into this new world, there is a mission. And um, I want us to look at a passage this morning, Luke chapter 10. And if you, uh, I think it'll come on the screen here at some point, or uh, but not. I'll just want to read it to you. It's just, and I'm going to do one through 17, and then pick it up from uh, seven, uh, one to 16, and then uh, 17 to 20, as we hear this story. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." "'Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. "'Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. "'Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. "'When you enter a house, first say, "'Peace to this house.' "'If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. "'If not, it will return to you. "'Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, "'for the worker deserves his wages.' Do not move around from house to house. Whenever you enter a town are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the, its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you it will be more tolerable on that day for So four quick things about this mission that uh, we're sent out on and and then how we begin to sort of apply that mission uh, to the world today. First of all, four things. I love this first part is that Jesus sends us on this mission. He sends us 72. And we could talk about how it, the, the mission of the kingdom of God coming into the world begins with Jesus and he comes into this world at his incarnation. The kingdom, That's the inauguration of the kingdom of God as Jesus comes into this world. And then, then he shares what that kingdom mission and ministry is like when he when he sends out the twelve and the disciples and they begin to do the things that Jesus did and now he sends out seventy two right he sends out seventy two folks to do this mission that is to be done in the world and then later if we get to the book of Pente- if we get to the book of Acts and we see the the moment of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit descends upon the church and all the believers receive the Holy Spirit and they receive power to be His witnesses in the world Acts one eight you know in the Old Testament. Uh, the um, Holy Spirit was reserved for prophets, priests, and kings. That's who, that's who got the Holy Spirit. It's only special people with special offices that they held. But the glory of the New Testament, the glory of the gospel message, is that God is going to pour out His flesh, as His Spirit, upon all flesh. God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, on all believers, men and women, young and old. We could probably go on and say rich and poor. You know, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. I was preaching on Pentecost Sunday a few weeks back, and and I just in, and as I was sort of thinking about it, you know, it's the Oprah Winfrey moment, right? You get the Holy Spirit, and you get the Holy Spirit, and you and and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord gets the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and and it changes us. I think another thing about this mission that I find interesting is that this in this we find the only prayer. Other than the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives us words to. You know, he encourages us to pray through parables and tells us to pray. But we have the Lord's Prayer, these words that we know our Father and, and, and onward. But we also here, we have the other, word, the other prayer that Jesus gives us vocabulary for. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. See, this is our calling, this mission and so as we think about it, he sends us on this mission. The first thing really is this, is that the har- heart, the mission is a bountiful mission. It is full. The, the harvest is white. I would say it in the same way. People still are spiritually hungry. And all around us are spiritually hungry people. The harvest is, is ripe and ready. It is white. It is ready to be taken in. There is an abundance. Lots of times, you know, when I was at Canterbury, when I was pastoring a church, sometimes I always, uh, not always, but I struggled because I, a lot of times I saw the scarcity. Right? I saw our scarcity, we're scarce, there was scarcity in our finances. There was scarcity in our resources and all those kinds of things I saw. And sometimes if I wasn't, if I wasn't really sort of prayed up and praying into the Lord and leaning to the Lord, I could focus on the scarcity. And what I need to see here that in this mission, there's an amazing abundance that God gives us. Second point is that there's an inescapable vulnerability Implicit in the mission to which Jesus calls his disciples. These 72 people go out two by two, and he sends them out as lambs among wolves. And he sends them out, no bag, no no shoes, you know, just take nothing with you. And they have to be fully dependent upon God. They have to be fully dependent on God to provide for the mission. And I think that it's his mission. It's his harvest. He's, he's Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. And we just get to, to co-labor with, under him and with him to see that harvest brought in. Third thing is that the successes have far greater significance. Jesus declares in this moment the downfall of Satan and the inauguration of a new age. Darkness is dispelled. There's more happening here than the, these disciples, these 72 that went out, could see. And wherever we attend faithfully to the Jesus mission, the kingdom of God is being where the kingdom of God is being announced. Darkness is dispelled, and the promise of God's reign is being made. And so the mission is wonderful; it's exciting. I just got back from a retreat this weekend where I was teaching and doing some stuff, leading some people to, into a posture to receive the Holy Spirit. And it was wonderful; it was great, and people got. Good words. There were words spoken over lives. There was healing. There was wonderful things going on in this time. But I think even in the midst of all that wonderful stuff, and we celebrate that. Jesus celebrated it. He says, I saw it. You know, when he's talking, when when the 72 come back, I saw it. I saw what was going on. But then he gives this wonderful reminder, this fourth point from this mission. And that is that we rejoice not that the demons are subject to us. But we rejoice that we've been saved. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice that we've been brought into the very presence of God and that we have an eternal relationship with the Lord. So part of that is to understand this mission is in the world. So the mission really hasn't changed, but the world has changed. I, uh, what, one of the books that launched me into this new season is a book by Todd Bolsinger called Canoeing the Mountains. And in Canoeing the Mountains, he uses a metaphor for the mission of the church in the 21st century. And he takes a kind of cue from Lewis and Clark. And if you know the story of Lewis and Clark, they, um, they launched out from St. Louis. And they had two mission objectives. Now, this is in 1803, 1804. They had two mission objectives. And those two objectives were to explore the Louisiana Purchase, what's out there, and to find a waterway to the Pacific. That's what they were supposed to do. That was their mission. And so they, they launch out on this mission, you know, about 40 people. It's called the Corps of Discovery. And about 10 months into the mission, they're in um, eastern Montana, and they're looking west, right? And as they're looking west, they see the Rockies. And they had never seen anything like the Rockies before. When they left St. Louis, they expected to find Appalachia. They expect, expected to find more of the same that, they, that we have sort of on the eastern side of, our, of the United States. But they found all kinds of different animals, all kinds of different plants. And as they're looking west, they're seeing the Rockies. And the problem is that in eastern Montana, the Missouri River had dried up and there was no more water, and they had a choice to make. Are we going to turn around and go back, or are we going to adapt to an uncharted territory? They didn't have a map. Are they going to adapt to something that's new and beyond them, and, so, and that's what they did. They stopped being river rafters, and they became mountain climbers. And here's the application for us and they were successful in their mission. But here's the application for the church today. What has carried us to where we are today in Western civilization, this is mainly speaking of the cultural West, what has carried the church to where it is today will carry it no further. We've run out of water. And we need to adapt to a different landscape of the 21st century. And that's really what this is. We talk about missional life and missional living. It's really understanding this, that we are to adapt to this new, this new reality in which we find ourselves. And part of that has to do with, the, and I'll say this one, do this real quickly. Um, the professor in me sort of <laughs> rises up in this moment. But we are really in what we would call the era of post-Christendom. And real quick, so let me, do, let me do this real quick. So there's pre-Christendom, which is from Jesus to the time of Constantine. About 300 years, and it's the book of Acts, and it's the early church. And the church is alive and active, and it's doing amazing things. And the gospel is going forth through all of the the Roman Empire in those days. And it's wonderful. And in 325, Constantine legalizes Christianity. And that's a a good thing. I mean, you're no longer going to be killed for being a Christian. But something happens in 380, where Christianity becomes the state religion of Rome. And we enter the era of Christendom. And for the next 1,500 years or so, Christianity dominates the landscape of Western civilization. And it is, at the, it is at the center. It is at the forefront. And in the last, you can really, in Europe, it begins in the early, after World War I. And for us, it begins probably more in the 60s. And that is that we, are, we have entered this stage of um, post-Christendom, where we no longer, I like to, I'll say it this way. Um, how many sports fans do you have? We have few, so I've been to a few UCF games, and they really do well. You know, right? Especially the last couple of years, they've had a, they've had a good, great run. There's something to a home field advantage, right? There's something when you have your crowd behind you. There's something uh, that home field advantage, and the church enjoyed a home field advantage for 1,500 years, and we don't have that anymore. 60% of our culture is unchurched, as I was referencing in that. I'd say there's a group called nuns and duns. That's a N-O-N-E. Uh, nuns and duns. Nuns. So if someone, I think one of the places where you'll still find this question being asked is if you're being admitted to the hospital, it'll ask for you, what, what's your religious affiliation? And people will check, none. And so that's people that have never really had any experience or any kind of formal kind of faith formation in any way. Duns are people that got hurt got angry, got bored, and left the church. They're done with church. And that's a lot of our culture. And so those are the folks that are out there. And so there's about 60% of the people in this culture that, that are never going to walk through the doors of a church on Sunday morning. And, we, and I'll say this is, this is kind of a sobering fact. The United States is the second largest unreached people group in the world. Did you know that? the second largest unreached people group in the world. And so it calls as we begin to think about this idea of post-Christendom, that we've kind of moved into this uncharted territory like Lewis and Clark, where we're off the map. We have to sort of think about what's our strategy going to be to see the mission of the church, the kingdom of God invade the world. I love this quote from Archbishop William Temple from the 1940s. He says this, He says, the church is the only organization, institution that exists for people that are not yet members. See, we're here. We gather here on Sunday mornings to be equipped and encouraged, to be edified, to be built up, to be renewed, to to be reconciled to God again. If we we had a rough week and we messed up some, we have an opportunity in this moment to gather under the banner of Christ as God's people in this world. And so, but we do so because we are going out into the world. And it's a mission that has to be relational. It has to be, and we, we I planted in Novito, Church of the Incarnation. Incarnation is a, a great church word, right? It's a church word, uh, or nice kind of from, from the and things like that. And it is that, that Jesus clothes himself with humanity. And it's the incarnation. So the feast day for incarnation is Christmas. And as we do, so, incarnation. We named it incarnation not because of Christmas, but because it really reflects the fact that Jesus incarnates Himself in us, and that we are to be with people in the way that Jesus was with people. You know, if you look, read through the Gospels, read through and look at the relationships that Jesus has, look at the people that He engages. I love this word. Jesus practiced a ministry of withness, with. He was with, uh, he was with Nicodemus. He was with the woman at the well. He was with Zacchaeus. He was with Jairus. He was, he was with people who rejected him. He was with people like the rich young ruler. He was with um, the enemy in terms of the, the cultural enemy of, of Israel, the, the Roman centurion. He was with people and that's this ministry of being with and in relationship with people. I love this, I love this picture, that Jesus always leads with relationship. Think of think, the woman at the well. I love that story from John chapter 4. The woman at the well was, um, she, there are a lot of things that, that would have kept Jesus from ever talking to her culturally. First of all, it was really a, he, uh, a, a breach of protocol for him to speak to a woman who was not a member of his family. Secondly is that she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. And that's even referenced in the story that there was such hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And then finally, we'll just sort of say it this way. She had a past. But Jesus was with her. He leads with relationship. John's gospel says it this way. It says it twice in the first chapter of John's gospel. It says that Jesus comes with grace and truth. Jesus always leads with grace. Truth is important. I want to say that. Truth is important. There's a truth to be told. There's a a, a word that comes to us that convicts us of our sin and calls us to, to repentance. But The idea is that it's a relational mission that we are on. I worked in youth ministry for a long time, and Young Life has a phrase called, or a motto, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's really what this mission begins to look like as we go into the world, as we go into places to share the good news and share the gospel with folks. And so part of it is, as we begin to think about this idea of witness, this idea of relational it is a mission that is going into the world. And I referenced this in, in, as we were talking. I was talking there. Is that uh, in the interview. That as you are going. Right? It's, you know, I, as I said. I thought for years the, the imperative was. When I read the Great Commission. You know, Matthew 28. As I read the Great Commission. I thought it was go. But it's not. If you really really get down to the language. To the Greek there. The imperative is definitely make disciples. And it's the as-you-are-going part that we are supposed to do. So as we go to the marketplace, as we go to the, the places of our cultures, we step into the things that we normally do. I'm sure there are a lot of you that have some preferences, some things that you like to do, some things that um, you enjoy. And, and it's really in some ways leveraging those things for the sake of the mission. We are to go into the world. We are. I love this idea. There's, there's a lot of talk in sociology about third places, um, th- and they t- third places, so the, uh, first, the first place is home, the second place is work, the third places are places where people gather and hang out. So Starbucks is a third place. They wanted that so much that uh, Ray Oldenburg, who wrote this sort of study on sociology, they actually petitioned him, Can we, would you identify us, would you call us third place? And he said no. But that became their motto. They wanted to be the third place in, in people's lives. You know, home, work, Starbucks. And for a lot of folks... It succeeded, you know, and that's, and that's true for them. And I think the thing is that it's this idea that as we're going, there are these third places of culture where people gather, and we're able to, in a sense, to invade them in the same way that Paul did when he goes to Corinth or Philippi or any of the cities and in, in his missionary journeys to Athens, you know, to, to those places. When he goes to those places, he goes into third places. I think back to the woman at the well. I think the well in Samaria was a third place where people gathered. And Jesus hangs out there. And in that moment, salvation and redemption comes in that moment. So as we are going, we authentically engage people in in this idea. um, There's a proximity issue in the sense that we need to, to get close to this world. We need to go to them with the love of Christ, armed with empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to Jesus. And it's an authentic engagement. So... Um, you might have noticed, but if you didn't, I drive a Jeep Wrangler. It's parked out there, and I love my Jeep. I didn't know that when I got a Jeep that I joined a whole culture, <laughs> right? Any other Wrangler owners? Pass. Okay, so there's this thing with Wrangler owners. You wave at each other. You know, it's called the wave. And with my hand's sitting on the wheel, and a Jeep's coming, I, and when they wave back. I love this. I was, I was researching a little bit about this one. I didn't know this when I got a Jeep. I just thought it'd be cool to have a Jeep. But I realized I, I joined this whole culture, and there's a quote that says, when you own a Jeep Wrangler, every other Wrangler owner is your friend. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the that, that way that maybe it should be? So I'm a member of the Oviedo Jeep Club. And, I, and I'm doing that really in a missional th- sense, but it's authentic. I didn't have to go borrow or rent a Jeep to go to the Jeep Club. I have one. I'm an enthusiastic Jeep owner. And that's a good thing. So the thing is, but, so when we were at a gathering, I was sitting down and people go, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, we start talking. And I'll say things about, if I'm, since I'm here in Oviedo, I'll talk about Canary because that's a kind of nice reference point. So I'll say, well, I'm an Episcopal priest. And well, where's your church? And I kind of look around and go, kind of right here. Because this is the mission of the church in the world. I'll share this one last story, and then there's a video that we're going to show. It's, um i really, uh, I don't know if you know, if, how many have been to the BurgerFi? I mentioned that and I don't want to talk. So a few, a few of you have been to the BurgerFi. These are great guys. The guys that own it are are wonderful brothers. And they built their BurgerFi. And they, they run this. They run BurgerFi. Now, BurgerFi is not like Chick-fil-A, like it has this big corporate kind of Christian identity. But these guys the they, in this little local business, they own about four or five of these franchises, BurgerFi franchises. And they built their BurgerFi as a fresh expression of church they built their burger that business and they see it as a church and their congregation is their staff their vendors and their customers and they're trying to bring the kingdom of god into that moment i've been in there lots of times i've actually i'm going to tell you the story in a second but the how this how we how i discovered this was through another friend who was saw this happen you know one of the guys sort of the he, he's actually kind of a corporate chaplain was in there and he was praying with a staff member right there in the middle of Burger BurgerFi in front of God and everybody. He was praying for a staff member who was having a tough time, a member of an employee. And so another guy took notice of that, got in conversation, and then we had a meeting, and I got to know these guys, Michael, who's a uh, exec. And, and we were uh, meeting, as, having a coffee somewhere else, and he goes, hey, man, why don't you come? There's a, there's a meeting following this our time at Burger BurgerFi uh, with another pastor here in Oviedo, and why don't you just come in and sit in on it? I'm like, okay. So I did, and I sat in on this meeting. And, and they were talking, it's a church that rents a property for, on their, for their Sunday worship. And so um, they were talking about how they might do some things at BurgerFi and having this connection. And so they, they want to serve. They want to be a part of the community, and all that's beautiful and wonderful. And then what they, um, uh, in the, they uh, Michael invited Kaylee, who is the marketing person, because some of this involved marketing and some things that might happen with that, and he, brought, he invited Kaylee to it, and I could tell in the, have you ever been in those conversations? And so it's a, a couple of pastors, well, probably, and Michael's really a pastor too, and we're talking about church and ministry, and Kaylee, the marketing person, is just lost. She is just lost. She doesn't, she's kind of like, you can tell that she's just not connecting. And so when the conversation was, when the meeting was over, and I was still hanging there a little bit with Michael and with Kaylee, and I just felt prompted, I said, you know, Kaylee. Um, do you, uh, uh, if you need some help with church, and, with church culture, vocabulary, those kinds of things, I'm glad to give you a hand. It was almost like, yes, please. You know, that'd be great. And so then Michael said, well, Kaylee, do you have a faith background in your life? And, and uh, she said, well, yeah, I grew up going to church a little bit. And, and there's a little conversation. Michael got a phone call and got pulled away. And, and I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other sermon. Prompted by the Holy Spirit. But I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit in that moment, right? I said, Kaylee, I said, let me maybe explain it to you this way. I kind of, my Jeep will come back into this. I said, you know, what's the purpose of a vehicle? It's to get you from point A to point B, right? That's really the purpose of a vehicle. Now my my Jeep has uh, it's kind of you know blinged out a little bit. I've got heated seats and I got Bluetooth and I got you know GPS, I got all these kinds of things built in, uh, lots of buttons and switches. And they make the journey a lot better, right? But that's not the purpose of my vehicle. And the problem with the world today is people are trying to live their life in all the accessories. But they will, you'll never understand what life is all about until you find your relationship with Jesus Christ. And she looked at me and she goes, no one's ever explained it to me that way before. And I just, Kaylee, do you want to know Jesus? She said, yes. Almost in that same way, yes, please. Help me. And so right there we prayed, and Kaylee came to know Jesus. See, church can happen anywhere. I love what happens on Sunday mornings, but we exist for people that are not yet members. And that's the mission that we have as we go into this world. So I want to show, this is a video that's about fresh expressions, about the ministry that I'm with, and you'll get a picture. And I want you, I want you to hear that, it's, as I was sort of saying in the video when uh, Bishop was inter, interviewing me, it's, there's this wonderful rooted tree called the church. And then there are these wild branches that God is grafting in. And that's really what Fresh Expressions is about. I've called church before, but it's really if a church, if we go back to the original meaning of the word, it is a gathering of people, an assembly of people under the banner of Christ. And that can happen at Burger 5. It can happen at Starbucks. It can happen in the park. It can happen anywhere where we go, because as we are going, we are to be making disciples. As we are going, we are to see the kingdom, his kingdom come and his will be done. And that's really what this is about. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you came. Or just as we read in that wonderful story of the 72 on mission. Lord, we rejoice over all the things of seeing your kingdom come, of seeing lives mended and people reconciled, of seeing broken hearts being bound up, of seeing captives and prisoners released and seeing those that are uh, mourning comforted and all those wonderful things of your ministry that reaches to us. And Lord, we rejoice and celebrate and we get excited about those things. But Lord, this day, we also rejoice mostly over the fact that you came into our lives. That you apprehended us and captured us for the sake of your kingdom. And that you you reconciled us and you brought us into a relationship uh, with you. With Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, as we think about the mission of the church in the 21st century. Lord, give us creative hearts and minds. To see that as we are going. Walking through the uh, aisles at Publix. Or wherever it is, the shops that we go. In our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools. or that you are there wanting to empower us and equip us to send us out. So that, so that the world would know you. Lord, for, for those people in our nation, in our community, in our neighborhoods that don't know you. Lord, give us a heart. Give us a means to connect with them the way that you did with the woman at the well. Or with Zacchaeus or with Jairus or all these other folks that we could name. How you connected with them. And brought to them the very message of the gospel. And their lives were changed and transformed. And Lord as we see through the book of Acts. It happened again and again and again. Make it so Lord Jesus. Amen.